I remember that we come before him now and I know I need his help. I think we all do. So let's pray and ask for that. Father God, we ask that you might speak to us through your word by your spirit today. Please use my words. I pray that they, by your grace, might be faithful and clear and engaging. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you might open our ears, our minds, help us to be attentive. And Lord, we pray you'd open our hearts to receive your word, respond in repentance and faith and obedience. And Lord, we pray that you might blow us away with the glory of Jesus. Father, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Muhammad and his followers fought and captured the city of Mecca in the year 630. Muhammad died two years later and his successors expanded Islam, fighting to take huge areas. The city of Jerusalem fell in 638. Muslims advanced into Eastern Europe, across North Africa, into Western Europe. People were given three choices. Be killed, pay a tribute, a tax, or convert to Islam. Islam was spread by violence. However, Christians in time responded likewise, particularly with the Crusades to the Holy Land. First Crusade captured Jerusalem in... Um, first slide up, please. First, slide captured Jer- Jeruz- first Crusade captured Jerusalem in the year 1099. Uh, in 1212, about 100,000 children and teenagers led by, I think, a 12-year-old child and other children, they went on crusade and ended in the death, enslavement, the starvation of them all. Other crusades were supported by kings and emperors and popes with the claims, the false teaching, that to go on, to, on, to go on crusade was to fight a holy war for the holy lands, was to fight for God and even guarantee yourself a place in eternal glory. But sadly, desires for wealth and power and prestige were motives too. Horrible violence and atrocities were committed in, in Christ's name. Crusades are a shameful stain on the church. A few years back, I was sitting across from a man on the train as I was traveling and he, we started chatting. I asked if he was religious and he shared that he was a Muslim. Later on, he, soon he asked if I was religious. I said I was a Christian and soon enough he brought up the Crusades and suggested that he wouldn't want to be a Christian if that's the violence that it results in. I thought it not helpful to talk about the violence that Islam has been committed in, in people of that religion too. Really, it was a peaceful and friendly conversation. I, I went on to share that Christians fighting with violence to spread our faith is not what Christ would have wanted. In fact, it goes against what he taught. Crusades and, and religious violence, they're often used to argue against the goodness of Christianity or, or can hinder people from considering Christ. Maybe you've struggled with that yourself. So often people look at the behaviour of professing Christians and 
and not at Christ. And yet today, today we see the Today we see the Lord Jesus who will not fight to defend himself and does not want us to fight to expand his rule either. Ian, I'm wondering if you can come and grab this USB from me so my clicker will work. Thanks. So Jesus does not want us to fight to defend himself and does not want us to fight to expand his rule either. And so it'll be good for us to think about why he did that and what it means for us. I hope you've got your Bible open to Matthew 26. We're continuing in this final section of Matthew's gospel. It's the night before Jesus' death. He has shared the last supper with his disciples and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, that was where his disciples did not, could not stay awake and pray with him. And when Jesus returns the third time, he says, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And this brings us to my first point, my first of four points today, the betrayal. Having just announced that the betrayer is here, who is it that arrives? Isn't it? It's verse 47, Judas, yes. A huge crowd, an armed mob is with him as if Jesus were a violent criminal. And a few comments, though, about this betrayal with a kiss. Back then, a kiss was a common sign of friendship and often involved a kiss on each cheek, like some Europeans will still give today. So betraying Jesus with a sign of friendship was treacherous. On top of that, he calls Jesus rabbi, teacher, and he does that while going against Jesus' teaching and showing the worst disloyalty ever. It is so hypocritical. And we're told again, aren't we, that that Judas is one of the 12. It's just emphasizing again how enormous his sin and betrayal is. It's ironic and amazing, verse 50, that Jesus calls him friends. Judas is behaving as an enemy. Though it fulfills Psalm 41, verse 9, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate, who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. So doesn't it show Jesus' great love for his enemies? Jesus had predicted his betrayal earlier in the night. Remember verses 21 to 24, Jesus said that one of you who has shared food with me will betray me. Jesus said it's better if they were not born, if he was not born. So Judas was warned, and yet he chose to betray the Son of God. Would you get more serious than this? Judas reveals by this behavior, never truly was a disciple, not in his heart, will not be saved. In verse 50, the phrase, why have you come? It can be translated, do what you came for, as the ESV translates it. And Jesus is grabbed, he's arrested. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by a friend or by a loved one. It's devastating, it's gut-wrenching, it's upsetting, it's painful. Jesus knows that. He knows what it's like. He is betrayed. 
resulting in his wrongful arrest. It will result in his unjust suffering and death, his execution and death. And yet Jesus hasn't even tried to stop it or run from it or fight it. Let's come to point two, the fight. Once Jesus grabbed, one of the disciples grabs his sword or draws his sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. John's gospel tells us it was Simon Peter. And whether Peter was just failing or he went for the man's head and missed, we're not told, we don't know. But he used his sword to defend Jesus. And and look how Christ responds. Put your sword away. For all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or all who draw the sword will die by the sword. This, we get the phrase, all who live by the sword, die by the sword. The principle is violence leads to violence. And if you go hurting and killing people, you're likely to be killed yourself. I wonder if Jesus had in mind when he said this, Genesis 9 verse 6, whoever sheds human blood by humans, will his blood be shed? Man, will his blood be shed? We see this principle lived out, don't we, in Melbourne with the gang violence, the revenge killings. Some people have argued from this passage that Jesus is teaching we must reject capital punishment and that governments should never execute criminals. Some even suggest that Jesus is teaching here total pacifism, total permanent, always nonviolence. But that's not the case. The Bible speaks elsewhere in Romans 13 about the government's right to bear the sword. Jesus is teaching us that it's inappropriate, it's wrong to use military force, physical violence to defend the gospel or or promote the gospel. So the fact that many thousands of professing Christians left Europe to fight Muslims on crusades in Palestine to Palestine to retake the Holy Land disobeys what Christ commanded here. Those crusades to take back the Holy Land did not please God. And the fact that the church encouraged it and made false promises to people about it, it is sinful. Jesus explains to Peter, though, doesn't he, his disciples, he explains to Peter, the disciples, the crowd, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion was five and a half to 6,000 soldiers. But the Encyclopedia Britannica says over time the numbers increased and those 6,000 soldiers were supported by another 6,000 more lower level troops and so that could total 12,000. So Jesus is saying that he could just ask for more than 12 legions, that's like 70,000 angels, if not over 100,000 angels. I was at the Ed Sheeran concert on Friday a week ago, the MCG, with 110,000 people. My mind went to this passage. And my mind was blown away thinking that Jesus could call on that many angels each one more powerful than any man. And it blew my mind. It should blow yours. Point is, Jesus doesn't need protecting from his people with pitiful weapons. Jesus doesn't 
need his disciples, he still doesn't need us to fight for his name and defend his cause with physical violence. How we are to fight, we'll come back to. But please see that Jesus is clearly in command here. He's being arrested, but he's still in control. He is super able to look after himself, and the father is certainly able and powerful to care for his son, protect his son. But notice that Jesus is not resisting. He knew the betrayal and the arrest was coming, and he didn't run away, and he didn't want Peter to stop it. Why? Why would Jesus not resist or run or fight back? Why would he not call on those 70,000 angels to smite and destroy all his enemies? It's the answer's in our next point there. The fulfillment. Jesus is saying, if we if we fight to stop this arrest and my death, if I call on God's powerful help to stop this, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? If we fight, how will God's Old Testament prophecies come true? He repeats the point at the end to make sure we don't miss it. Verse 56, all this happened so that the writings, that is the scriptures of the prophets, would be fulfilled. What scriptures, you might ask? Christians have found over 350 Old Testament references that Jesus fulfills, and you can Google that later. There's lots of prophecies about who Jesus was, but let me highlight some Important ones that relate to his betrayal and death. And Isaiah 53, it's full of details, prophecies that Christ fulfills. And we read this passage last week that he was despised and rejected by men. And people did consider him struck down by God and afflicted. On the the cross, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, not opening his mouth, that is not defending himself. He was cut off from the land of the living, that is, he died. He was assigned a grave. Deuteronomy 21 promised that the one who is hung on a tree, wooden pole, will be cursed. And Jesus was for us so that all who trust in him could be saved and forgiven. There's prophecies that are fulfilled in in Psalm 22 that we read earlier. Many details there that find fulfillment in Christ's experience and life. There's prophecies in Psalm 69, Zechariah chapter 12. All of these saying that Christ was abandoned and rejected and mocked and pierced and killed more. There's prophecies about the Messiah's resurrection. In Psalm 16, in Isaiah 53 verse 11. So many predictions. Hundreds of years before he was born. Beyond coincidence. And then Jesus, as well as these prophecies, he fulfills lots of other Old Testament symbols and types, like like he is the Passover lamb and 
And remember, Jesus said that he was in the belly of the fish. That, sorry, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus says he will be dead for three days and then come back to life. Jesus is saying that all these prophecies had to be fulfilled. The promises had to come true because God had promised they would. God always keeps his word. God is always faithful. And Jesus is God in the flesh. So he will be faithful too. Jesus did not resist and would not fight back because he was determined to do God's will. Remember we heard last week, not my will but yours be done. He was determined to fulfill God's word and keep God's promises. And he was doing this also because he was determined, he decided in love to die for us, to save us because he loved us. Galatians 2.20 is a verse close to my heart. Promises us, me, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Believe that and trust him. In the words of Dane Ortland in this wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, Jesus put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse muddy sinners clean and to hug them into his own heart despite their squirmy attempt to get free and scrub themselves clean on their own. Christ went down to death, voluntary endurance of unutterable anguish. He didn't simply leave heaven for me, he endured hell for me. He, not deserving to be condemned, absorbed it in my place, I for I alone actually deserved it. That is his heart. And into our empty souls, like a glass of cold water to a thirsty mouth, God poured his Holy Spirit to internalize the actual experience of God's love. Jesus didn't run from or fight his death to fulfill God's word for us. So believe that momentous news. Believe it. And then be filled with a sense of God's love. Come now to our fourth point, our fight. The first of three aspects I'm going to touch on is when should we physically fight? This is a complex and debated thing among Christians. Happy to talk with you after. In World War II, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were taking over Europe, killing many thousands, committing genocide against Jewish people, black people, disabled people, horrible and evil atrocities. And I believe it was right for the West to declare war on and fight them. It was right for soldiers to stop them, even for Christians to go and fight And I know that determining a just war can be really complicated. But it is good and right for governments to fight evil and promote justice. Out of love for others, I also suggest that it's right 
the time, if it's needed, to physically fight to protect your family uh, and the vulnerable. Secular media still uses the biblical language of Good Samaritan. In 2015, in Brooklyn, USA, a man attempted to rape a woman in the middle of the day on a subway platform and she screamed for help. And Morris Osborne acted to save her. She screamed, he said, for about 15 to 20 seconds. He said, there was a lot of people who didn't do anything. I was the only one who did something. And when you see something like that, you're supposed to help. He said, I punched him. I hit him a couple of times in the face. He then dragged the man by the shirt two blocks away to the police station. Al Stewart, in his excellent book, The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right, says that being a man is about taking responsibility for the people around you. And men are to act act responsibly and step up and lead, love, to care, protect and provide. So I say, men, I hope that we especially would fight to protect and save such needy people. But when shouldn't we fight? You may remember in December last year, two police officers and and a neighbour shot dead by those two brothers and sister-in-law in Weambilla, outback Queensland. Nathaniel, Gareth and Stacey were Christians. The killings have been labelled Australia's first fundamentalist Christian terrorist attack. The Nine News report that I read said and saw said that they were premillennialists and believers subscribed to the idea that after a period of extreme suffering, Christ, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in the second coming and reign for a millennium. And somehow, I'm not saying everyone who's a premillennialist behaves like this, but they did, and, and in their sinful and twisted thinking, somehow it justified their murder of those people. And as we heard today from Jesus, killing for the cause of Christ is never justified. Even if days come when we are persecuted for our Christian faith and we are beaten, imprisoned, executed, we are not to fight back with violence like Jesus did not. But I suggest to you that there is a fight that we must all engage in, a spiritual fight. We have a struggle but it's not against flesh and blood people. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says that our struggle is against the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. And for this fight, we need to put on our armour. We need to put up our defences, holding to the truth of the gospel, knowing that we're righteous, and saved by faith, there we, in knowing that we stand firm against the devil's lies and de- deceptions and temptations. And we need to take up our one weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and wield it. 
and we must pray always. And so we fight to hold on to the gospel by believing the gospel and speaking the gospel, even to ourselves, speaking the word of God, praying to God, obeying Jesus. Let me give some examples of how this spiritual battle might be fought for followers of Jesus. Albert's wife yells at him, disrespects him, nags him. And in the past, he has yelled back. He's got aggressive, slamming the table with his fist or or worse. Albert remembers that Satan wants him to lose his temper, get aggressive and intimidate his wife. And Albert now chooses to walk away from the arguments, calm down and pray for God's help. He prays remembering what Satan wants in this situation versus what God wants. He he remembers he needs his armour and that his king commands him to go in the gospel of peace, to put on those shoes, those boots. And he asks God to help him be kind and patient. And then he he comes back in in 10 minutes with a commitment to listen and speak gently and to sacrificially love. When Albert is out of the room, Sally, his wife, also realizes that she's in a spiritual battle and Satan wants them to fight with each other and to sin and hurt one another. And she also sits down and prays for God's help. Reminding herself that Satan is not her boss. She is forgiven. She has worth in Christ. So instead of asserting her wants and her rights, she remembers that Christ loved her and gave himself for her. And he asks her to love others with kindness in response. Samantha is hurt by the horrible, continual things that other girls say to her at school and about her online. She's tempted to fight back with her words and and to put them down. She remembers that if she hates her enemies and gets revenge, She's doing what Satan wants. And so she prays for God's strength and talks with an adult about how to speak the truth in love, even when it means saying that that behavior is not okay. Lewis suffers in hardship every day. Pain, grief, loneliness, and and from an illness that doesn't get better. He's seriously thinking about it. He's tempted to abandon his faith and give up on Christ for it seems that God just doesn't hear his prayers or or care. Lewis is reminded by a Christian brother that he's in a, a spiritual battle and the spiritual forces of evil would be pleased if he gave up his faith and stopped trusting God. He remembers that Satan wants nothing more than to see him fall away. And so he commits to hang in there and to remember that he's righteous by faith in Christ and nothing can stop or take away all the blessings that he has in Christ Jesus. 
He reads out loud to himself some of the God's promises in Scripture, like the Lord will not leave or abandon you. And he chooses to fight prayerfully to not abandon Jesus. Or maybe you're like Nadia, who chose not to wear rainbow colours on the rainbow day at work. She cops questions, criticisms, shame from her colleagues for this. Nadia is tempted to just blend in and be silent about her faith. To be honest, she even doubts that following Jesus is worth it, considers deserting him. And then Nadia remembers Jesus predicted that all his disciples would desert him. She remembers that all the disciples did desert him in Matthew 26, verse 56. She remembers that Jesus went to the cross to forgive all her sins. She remembers now that even when she's persecuted for Christ's sake, she's not alone. Christ is with her by his Spirit. And with the armour of God, she can take her stand and not surrender in this spiritual fight. It's not about fighting back, but she prays for strength and love and boldness to keep sticking with Christ, standing for Christ in love. She invites one of the antagonistic work colleagues out for lunch to get to know them. She prays that she would listen well. She prays for an opportunity also to share something of who Jesus is to her and how he has changed her life. Everything for her. So I ask you, what spiritual battle does God want you to fight at the moment? Jesus didn't resist arrest. He didn't run from or fight his suffering and death. And Christ won the fights, the battle against sin and death and the devil. Christ has won the victory. And now we need to rest in his victory, trusting him. We need to rest in and rely on his victory. As, as we need to rely on him as we fight lies, temptation and sin. He calls us to fight not with violence but to rely on him in our spiritual battles. In your struggle, remember who the real enemy is and trust and follow your mighty Saviour. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you sent your son to us in love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't turn away from this path of bearing the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserved in our place. You had the power to stop it more than we know. And yet in love for your father doing his will and in love for us undeserving sinners, you you walked that path. You endured that suffering and death that we deserved. Father, we 
pray that you might blow us away with the love and the glory of Jesus. And that we might see that he's an all-sufficient saviour who can help us in our spiritual fights and battles. We pray that we would rely on his strength. That, Father God, that we would put on the armour that you give us, your children, all of us who are saved by faith in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we might wield that sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, speaking the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel to ourselves and in love to others. So, Lord, may we honour Jesus, the one who has won the victory for us. We praise and thank you in his name. Amen.